If you have your copy of God's Word, uh, or you can get a copy in front of you in the Pew Bible, or you can look on your, in your bulletin, uh, please turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. And we're going to look at the last section here of Paul's letter to the Galatians, verses 11 through 18. And at the end of the letter, up until this point, Paul has been dictating the letter to a scribe. That's the way Paul normally did it. And here at the end, he takes the pen in his own hand, and he writes the conclusion. And in writing the conclusion, he does us a great favor because he comes back to a lot of the themes, even uses some of the similar verses that he's already used, and he reminds us uh, what the book is all about and really what he wants us to walk away with. And so follow along with me as I read uh, the conclusion to this amazing letter uh, to the people of Galatia, the churches of Galatia. This is God's word, starting in verse 11. See what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even as those who are circumcised... They do not themselves keep the law. They desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule... Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's pray. Let's ask God to come through his spirit and to help us uh, with this passage this morning. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, Would you soften our hearts this morning to your word? Lord, I pray that our hearts would not be hard soil. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts so that the word doesn't bounce off. Lord, we pray uh, that the word would take root. That uh, we pray against the cares of the world coming and choking out your word that we will hear this morning. Would you come through your spirit and make our hearts fertile soil so that we would hear the word and we would receive the word and we would take it to heart and we would be changed and we would be different people. Lord, we cannot do this on our own. And so make our hearts soft through your spirit this morning. We beg you to do these things, please. In Jesus' name, amen. School's out for the summer. Those are good words to many of you. Others of you, I'm sure, parents are not so sure at this point. Uh, But it it is that time of year. School has ended. Students are graduating or have graduated by this point from high school or college, maybe even graduate school. Uh, it's, It's a transitional time. You look at this time of year and you realize your children are getting older and perhaps you're even counting Christmases that you have left with your children, that sorts of thing. Children are moving to a new grade, moving perhaps to middle school or high school or going off to college for the first time. 
There's parties and award banquets and graduation ceremonies, and we could go on. But this time of year often brings with it reflection. At least it does in my life. Uh, Reflection. And and it leads you to ask questions. Uh, I often find myself asking a question like this. Uh, Maybe you have a similar question. Maybe you would ask it differently. But for me, it goes something like this during this time of year as I see my girls getting one more year older. And it's this question. What are we communicating to our girls about what really matters in life? What are we communicating? What do we want them to get? They only got so many more years left in our family, under our roof, so to speak. What do we want them to walk away with? I don't know how you ask that question, but it's a good question. And and oftentimes, it's not necessarily what we say, but by our life, what are we communicating about what really matters in life? That's a searching question. That is a difficult question. For example, are we communicating performance? Performance and how you perform, that's what really matters. In other words, life around our family and our house, and I don't know what it is for you, but maybe it's this, it's about achieving. It's about achieving socially and academically and athletically and getting those A's. That's what really matters. And if you do those things, then that's how you are loved. That's what matters. Or maybe it's obedience or compliance. What really matters is following the rules, not rocking the boat, going along with the system. That's what really matters, and that's how you can know that you're loved in our family. Or maybe it's family. Maybe it's something like this that's communicated. You better love this family. This family better be the most important thing in your life. Maybe it's religion. What really matters is going to church and doing good things and staying out of trouble. And the problem with that is the Apostle Paul's been pushing back against that for six chapters. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul says all those things that I've just mentioned are really good things. But they don't really matter. They don't really matter in a life-defining, life-oriented kind of way. Remember, this is Paul's parting words. This is the last thing he wants to communicate to them. And he is summarizing similar truths that he's communicated the entire book. And one more time, Paul says, I want to tell you and remind you of what really matters. And you know what Paul says really matters? is the cross. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14. Far be it from me. And basically, if we were to look at the... It's not as strong as the original language here. Far be it from me, Paul says, that I would never, never, ever boast in anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or in other words, this is he's been saying it for six chapters. In other words, what really matters is the gospel. What really matters is Jesus plus nothing That is to be the thing that shapes our entire lives, is to shape our family, is to shape everything about us, and to orient us, and to be the thing that really matters. And here's the question we're looking at this morning. What does that look like? 
How does that happen? How do we begin to live a cross-centered life or a Christ-centered, gospel-centered life? Three things this morning if you're a note taker. We're going to see that happens when we understand the offense of the cross. Number one. Secondly, when we recognize the flesh and put it to death. And thirdly, we start to live a cross-centered life when we boast in Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. So those three things this morning. Let's look at number one. Uh, The first thing, if we're going to live a cross-centered life, we need to understand the offense of the cross. Look at verses 12 and 13. And what's interesting is Paul has already been preaching, has already mentioned this in chapter 5, verses 11 through 12, if you remembered. I didn't spend a ton of time on it because I knew we were coming back to it this morning. But Paul has already preached on the the terrible offense of the cross to the human heart. But he comes back to it one more time before he, con- he concludes. And so it must be important for Paul to mention it again. Because you see, the false teachers had been watering down the gospel. They had been watering down the offense of the gospel, preaching a message of self-salvation. Look at verses uh, verse 11, uh, 12 and 13. To avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. The cross by nature is offensive. And the cross by nature brings with it persecution. Look at verse 17. Paul points this out about his own life. He says, if I were to take off my shirt, I could show you the marks of Jesus on my body. Everyone agrees that most likely this refers to Paul's torture and imprisonments and beatings that he received for following Jesus. The beatings that he received for preaching Christ crucified for preaching the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he basically is saying here, okay, let me show you my back and then look at the false teachers. And you will see no such marks. Because they are telling the world, or they are telling people in the world what the itching ear wants to hear. Verse 12. They just want to make a good showing. And so then the question, really what I want us to look at is, so what does that uh, look like? How is the cross offensive? Because when we think about the cross in 2018, we've got them hanging on our necks, hanging in our homes, and sometimes we even hang them in our sanctuary around Easter. And so, Jason, how, why is that offensive or how is the cross offensive? Well, because the cross, you see, says some very unflattering things about us. Rightly understood, you see, the cross, it angers us because the cross stands toe-to-toe and nose-to-nose with our pride because it says that we are guilty. The cross says, cheer up. You're a whole lot worse than you think you are. The cross says you cannot save yourself. You cannot rescue yourself. And the cross, you see, offends people on every side for the secular or for the irreligious. They find the cross intolerant because to hear that the cross is the only way for people to be rescued is offensive to them. But it also offends on the other side. It 
offends religious and moral people, doesn't it? Because the cross comes and says and pushes back against those who are standing on their righteousness and on their goodness. Look at verse 15. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. What Paul is saying here is it doesn't matter how good you think you are. It doesn't matter how righteous you are. Those things don't count. Those things, Paul says, do not matter. In fact, if you read the letters of Paul, and we've seen it even in Galatians, Paul is saying that your goodness and your righteousness is actually part of the problem. (laughs) That it is actually part of the offense when you are standing on your own record in your own goodness rather than standing on the worth and the record of Jesus. You see, every religion has a way of dealing with sin. And what makes Christianity so unique is that Christianity comes and says, not only do you need to repent of the bad things you're doing, but you need to also repent of the good things that you're doing. The good things that you're doing in order to be seen and in order to build a record for yourself. Christianity is unique in that it comes and says that the good people are in just as much trouble as the bad people. In fact, the Bible says and Christianity says the good people are actually in much deeper trouble than the bad people. And why is that the case? Well, because our own goodness blinds us and keeps us from seeing how desperately we need to be rescued. You see how the cross is offensive? The cross is offensive because it comes to you and says the only way you come to Jesus is if you come with nothing. Is if you come empty-handed to the cross. Nothing to the cross I bring. Simply to the cross I cling, as the hymn says. Satchel Page. He was a Major League Baseball player in the 1930s and 40s. He's in the Baseball Hall of Fame. He's been known to be one of the best pitchers, if not the best pitcher to ever play the game. Mainly people say that about him because of his longevity, because of how long he played. But the other reason is because when he pitched, he drew a crowd because he was known for his showboating. Satchel Paige, at some point in the game, there's legendary stories about him, where he would call in the outfielders and say, go sit on the bench, I got this. Sometimes he would even call in the infielders and say, go sit on the bench, I got this. And then one by one, with no one in the field, he would strike out the opposing batters. It didn't matter if you were a Hall of Fame outfielder. It didn't matter if you were a mediocre second baseman. They were all in the same place, sitting on the bench, dependent upon Satchel Paige to perform and win the game for them. There's one confrontation that I love that i got to tell you about that I learned. 1942 World Series, Josh Gibson was another titan. He was a great hitter, and Satchel Paige wanted to face Josh Gibson in the World Series, man-to-man. And so Satchel Paige walks three batters so that he can, and loads up the bases just so he could get a shot at Josh Gibson, and he struck him out in three pitches. What in the world does this have to do with the gospel? 
everything. Because you see, we want to be Satchel Paige. We want to be the star of the show, and the gospel comes and says, it's offensive, because it comes and says, no, 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 you're the outfielders. And Jesus says, go sit on the bench, I got this. The gospel says, we're not the star of the show, that we're the bench warmers watching someone else do it all. And Jesus does it all from beginning to end. Do you see how the gospel's offensive? Because the gospel comes this morning and says, it doesn't matter how generous you are. You can be the most generous person in the church. How disciplined you are, or loving, or sacrificial, or the kindest person in the world. You can be in the church hall of fame. But we're all in the same place. Sitting down, warming the bench, watching Jesus do it all. Completely dependent upon him for everything. Here's the question. Has the gospel ever laid you low? Has the gospel, has the cross laid you low? Because you see, you'll never really grasp the sweetness of Jesus. He'll never make you sing. He'll never really make you smile until you grapple with the offense of the cross. I love this quote I saw this week by Tim Keller. If anyone, if someone really understands the cross, it's either the best thing in their life or it's repulsive to you. If it is neither, then you haven't understood it. If you really understand the cross, it's either the best thing in your life or it's repulsive to you. But if it's neither, then you haven't really understood it. Secondly, we're going to live a cross-centered life. We've got to not only understand the offense of the gospel. Secondly, we've got to recognize the marks of the flesh and put them to death. Look at verses 13 and 14. Paul ends his letter uh, here by, again, we've been saying this uh, the whole series. He maps out two ways of living. Remember, Galatians is important because it's about your identity. And Paul is saying, you're going to find your identity in one of two places. You're either going to find it in the world, or you're going to find it in Jesus Christ alone. And he's been laying out those two ways of living every chapter in the book of Galatians. And he closes with that, but this time he phrases it, phrases it this way. You can either boast in the flesh, or you can boast in the cross. In other words, he's saying again what he said for six chapters. You can either boast in what you have done, or you can boast in what Jesus has done. And that's what he's talking about here. Because remember, the false teachers had come and they said, yeah, yeah, you need Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised and obey the laws of Moses. In other words, you need to trust in yourself and what you have done. Then you'll be acceptable to God. And for six chapters, Paul says, no, the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. There's no middle ground. You're either trusting in Jesus or something else. And one leads to life. And the other one leads to slavery and death. And so what does it look like? And this is where we're going to spend their time in this point. What's it look like to boast in the flesh? What are some marks of the flesh that you might be boasting in the flesh and not in the cross? And remember what we said in chapter 5 when we did the flesh and the spirit. The flesh can be summarized. The mentality of the flesh is live to get. 
you want to summarize the flesh in one word, it's self. The flesh is not a giver. The flesh is a taker. And so what does it look like? How do we see in this passage? And these are three subpoints under this main second point. And the first one, if you are boasting in the flesh, then outward impressions and outward opinions of other people matter the most to you. Look at verse 12 again. A, those who make a good showing in the flesh. If you're boasting in the flesh instead of the cross, then it's all about external behavior for you. There's no focus at all uh, on your heart. It's all about doing, not the heart. And so what you are focused on, if you're boasting in the flesh, is how you look before other people. And all you care about is looking good. And so here's my question. What are the external things in your life that you are using in order to make a good impression or to impress other people? It might be your commitment to the youth group or to church. Look at how committed I am. But your heart is far from Jesus. It might be that you give in a way so that other people notice or that you serve in areas of the church that are going to get the most attention and get the most recognition for what you've done. What is the outward thing that you're doing that you are boasting in a sense in yourself rather than you're worrying about your heart? You see, the flesh worries about the outside. Someone who boasts in the cross worries about the inside and what's going on. Secondly, if you boast in the flesh, then you will avoid the cost of following Jesus. We saw that, and I mentioned it. I'm not going to say much about it, but look at verse 12 again. It's worth mentioning. You avoid being persecuted for Christ. Man. We could spend a long time on this in Over the Mountain Birmingham, couldn't we? I mean, think about it. Boy, we want to follow Jesus, but we don't want it to cost us too much. I want to follow Jesus, but I don't want it to cost me my relationships or my time or my comfort or my reputation or my money. Where are you boasting in the flesh? Remember, the flesh is about getting And avoiding the cost. How are you avoiding the cost? Where in your life are you giving Jesus the stiff arm saying, Jesus, I want you, but you can only come this far. You can't mess with this. Where are you avoiding the cost? That is a sign that you are boasting in the flesh rather than boasting in the cross. Thirdly, if you boast in the flesh, you are are finding your identity in what you do And in the law, rather than finding your identity in what Jesus has done. Look at verse 13. And I love this from Paul here. He says, for even those who are circumcised. He's talking about the false teachers. They don't keep the law. They keep one law. The law that they're good at. The law that thing that they can control. They focus on circumcision and ignore the rest of the the laws. How often do we do the very same thing? Looking to things in the Christian life that we're good at or naturally gifted at and saying that is the most important thing, but then we ignore all the other aspects of the law. How do we focus on holiness? Let's say, for example, maybe you're saying, I'm going to really focus on holiness or focus on uh, doctrine. 
I want to make sure all my I's are dotted and T's are crossed. But you don't care at all about other people. And about what God says when he says love your neighbor as yourself. You see we focus oftentimes on one aspect. And if we're doing that. Those are ways we boast in the flesh. And ignore uh, the other laws and the things that Jesus cares about. Someone who's boasting in the flesh has a heart that continues to function under the law. It continues to look to uh, their own record and to build their own righteousness rather than looking to Jesus and His righteousness. Because you see, the flesh is very fragile. And it says, I've got to get my identity from the law and and from the world. And for six chapters, Paul has said, if you boast in those things, if you boast in performance and gifts and your looks and how in shape you are, and think of all the things that we boast in, in the end it will crush you and lead you to slavery. Because the flesh and the law and the things of the world are too fragile to hold your identity. They can't bear the weight of holding your identity. There's only one person that can bear that weight, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is the only one that can give you the value or give you uh, the confidence and value that you so desperately long for. And that leads to the last point. A cross-centered life means we boast in Jesus. Look at verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wish we could turn to Philippians chapter 3. You should go look at that this afternoon. Paul had a lot of things he could have boasted in. Paul was the man in a lot of ways. He had a great record. He said, as far as the law, I was flawless. As far as the family heritage, I came from the right people. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. And in Philippians chapter 3, he says, all that's rubbish. It's garbage compared to boasting in the cross of Christ. You see, we boast in all sorts of things, don't we? You are made to boast. You realize that, right? As a human being created in the image of God, you're going to boast in something. That's how you were made. You're either going to boast in Jesus or you're going to boast in something else. And oftentimes we boast in things that don't really matter. We boast in our power or our achievements or how hard we work. We do it politely because we live in the South. We boast in our networks and who we know and what we know and how much we know and how much we have. And Paul says the only thing that really, those things don't really matter. What really matters is boasting in the cross. And remember, he uses this language of the cross. And for us, we hear it and go, yeah, yeah, whatever. For them to hear it in the first century, it would have been shocking. Because the cross was a symbol of shame and horror and revulsion. The symbol of death. It would be like saying, go boast in the electric chair. It would be like... That's crazy. That sounds shocking. Or the gas chamber. They would have heard it way differently. And yet Paul says to them, and he says to us, as brutal as the cross is, it's your only hope. And you've got to boast in it. And so how is the gospel our only hope? So here's three more sub points. The cross means life for you first. Because you think about what the cross means. The curse and the wrath of God that should have been poured out on you was poured out on Jesus. God 
looked on him, Jesus, and pardoned you. That is the gospel. And listen, we never get past that. Uh, All your friends are at the beach. And we're here. And we just yawn and think, yeah, whatever. Do you realize that should move us to the core of our being? That the cross means that God took you from being a child of wrath and made you a child of God. We should never get past that. Secondly, it also means that you have a new power inside of you. Look at verse 15. He talks about new creation. You see, the cross, Jesus died and ascended so that we get the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and enables you to live differently and produces in you a new life. The fruit of the Spirit that we're going to talk about this summer. Notice it's not your fruit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has invaded your life so that you can now live differently. So the cross means that you have a new power inside of you. But it also means, verse 14, that you have a new relationship to the world. Look at verse 14. By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now Paul is not saying here that we shouldn't have anything to do with the world. He's not saying we need to withdraw from the world. He is saying here that because of Jesus and because of the cross that you are free from the world. Meaning that the world has no power over you any longer. And so you don't have to be fearful of it and you don't have to worship it. The gospel and the cross gives you a whole new way of thinking and a whole new identity. You have a new power in that you are free to enjoy the world because you don't have to look to the world and the things of the world for your value and significance and worth. When your identity is in Jesus, the world loses its grip on you. And that's an amazing thing because then all the successes that you have in the world, they don't puff you up because you don't need them because you have Jesus. But on the other hand, the failures that you experience in this life also don't crush you. Because those things in the world don't tell you who, the, who you are. Jesus tells you who you are. And so you see, the, what the world values, what the world values becomes dead to you in a way. Because you have Jesus. And so then the question comes, okay, Jason, how do I boast in the cross? How do I live a cross-centered life? I hear you, and I hear you talk about all the things that the cross is and means for my life. But I feel like I'm boasting in the flesh way more than I'm boasting in the cross. And I don't want to do that. I want to boast in Jesus. So the question is, how do you put to death Jesus? Well, to live a life defined by the cross means this. That Jesus becomes more beautiful than all the other things that you are currently boasting in. Jesus becomes more, it's what Thomas Chalmers calls the expulsive power of a new affection. And you say, okay, that sounds great, but how does that happen, Jesus? Or Jason? I'm not Jesus. Uh, uh, J- Jason? And you, you know how that happens? By drawing near to Jesus. And you say, okay, well, how do I draw near to Jesus? How do I put the gospel in front of me every single minute of every single day? Remember, the book of Galatians is written to Christians. And so it says to put the gospel in front of us every single day. And then you might think, okay, well, how do I do that? How do I draw near to Jesus? Well, you got to hang out where Jesus hangs out. Where does Jesus hang out? 
here. He hangs out here with his people. He hangs out in this book called the Bible. And so that's why it's important that we know it and read it and study it. He hangs out. We pray. And so there's prayer. And he hangs out at this table. This is not our table. It's his table. And he's spiritually present here with us this morning. And so you might, and, and, and so we've got to put ourselves. You want Jesus to become more beautiful than the other things you boast in. You've got to put yourself under the means of grace as much as you possibly can and get around Jesus until he melts your heart into, until he becomes more beautiful than everything else. And some of you might be, have thought this throughout our study through the book of Galatians, and maybe even you've been frustrated at times where you said, okay, I get it, Paul, like let's move on. Jesus plus nothing, let's move on to the advanced stuff. Friends, the Bible never moves on. It doesn't. The Bible never moves on. This book, the purpose of this book is what? To show you Jesus. The Holy Spirit who's living inside of you. The purpose of the Spirit is to show you Jesus. So that you would encounter Jesus. And when you encounter Jesus, guess what? You start to realize that Jesus is all you need. And when you encounter Jesus... All the other things in the world pale in comparison to him because he becomes more beautiful than everything else. And then guess what? You start to boast in him instead of boasting in the flesh. I'll close with this story. My Girl. It was an early, it was a movie in the early 90s. I don't know if you've seen the movie My Girl, but it was actually a really sad movie. And it was about this girl named Vada. And the best way to describe her life was death colored her life. Her mom died at an early age. To make matters worse, her father was the director at a funeral home. And so she was in and around death all the time. And she had this boy that she became friends with named Thomas J. Thomas J was allergic to everything. And he was very allergic to bees. Well, he got stung in the movie. If you remember, he got stung by lots of bees and ended up passing away. So she lost him too. And there's this scene at the end of the movie where the casket's up in front of the funeral parlor. And Thomas J's laying in the casket. And Vada is out in the lobby and she can't bring herself to go in. And so she keeps looking around, looking down at Thomas J. and the pastors standing in the front. And then at one point, she finally runs down the aisle and runs to the coffin. And she grabs Thomas J. And she says, you want to go tree climbing? Someone get his glasses. Because he can't see anything and he needs them. See, she goes expecting life. We're a place that only death existed that's a picture of us that's a summary really of the entire book of Galatians we just like the Galatians we keep running back to the flesh and we keep running back to the law the places of death and we keep looking and trying and expecting to find life and for six chapters the apostle Paul says stop stop running to the coffins in your life Stop running to those places of death where you are expecting to find life and only death exists. Stop. 
And Paul, for six chapters, and he says it again, come to Jesus. Life can only be found in Jesus alone. Jesus plus nothing. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you that on the cross you said it is finished. Jesus, you said it is finished. And so there's nothing left for us to do. You have done it all. Lord, would you help us to recognize the flesh and our own hearts and lead us to repentance? And would you give us the grace to boast in Jesus alone? In his name we pray. Amen.